This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. We moved outdoors because of the virus and are only allowing about 15,000 fans to be in the live audience. This is episode 65. In this episode, I will share the story of some amazing 100-mile races involving ultra-legends Ron Bentley from England and Ted Corbett from America from the early 1970s. Ah, the 70s. Frisbees. Weebles that won't fall down. Pong. Bell-bottoms. Platform shoes. Discos. Eight-track tapes. And crazy people running in circles for 100 miles or more in the middle of cities. 100 miles, 100 miles, 100 miles, 100 miles, you can hear the whisper blow, 100 miles. During the 1970s, the modern era of ultra running was slowly increasing. The term ultra marathon, ultra for short, was introduced by legendary Ted Corbett during the 1960s and by the early 1970s it was being used more to make the distinction with the public that athletes could run further than the marathon distance. 100 mile races were not widely prevalent and open to all, but the spark had been kindled to bring back that distance that many hundreds of runners had achieved before World War II. During the early 1970s, some of the fastest all-time 100-mile accomplishments were achieved, and they have been mostly forgotten. Also of note, in 1972, an equestrian mountain trail in the California Sierra named Western States was conquered by seven military veterans, sparking the notion to bring back mountain trail 100-milers that had ceased for decades. But first, the story of Ron Bentley. In the Midlands region of England emerged a tough ultra runner who would take the 100-mile distance to new levels and influence British runners for generations. Ron Bentley grew up in a large family in very humble living conditions. As a young boy, he remembered hearing his father tell running stories around the fire. He had been a professional road runner and influenced his sons to also run. Bentley served in the British Army starting in 1949 and participated in many sports, but did not do much running at first. After doing some training in the hills, he started to win cross-country races and his officers could see that he was naturally gifted to run. Once out of the service in 1951, he joined the Tipton Harriers, wanting to concentrate on long-distance running. He participated in many races, but didn't start racing the marathon until 1958, when he was 29. Bentley became one of the core leaders of Tipton's cross-country and road running teams, which developed into the most successful running club in England. Ron's voice could always be heard above all others shouting encouragement for his team. Bentley ran a classic trail race in Scotland for many years, the Ben Nevis race. It was only 15 miles, but ran to the top of Britain's highest mountain, Ben Nevis, 4,406 feet, and back down. It was said, It is not an unusual sight to see exhausted runners carried off to the hospital. 
The Ben Nevis race began in 1895 and it became a regular organized event in 1937. Due to the seriousness of the mountain environment, entry was restricted to those who had completed three Category A hill races and runners had to carry waterproofs, a hat, gloves and a whistle. In the Highlands of Scotland, it was race day last week. In the wake of the English Channel's big swim came the Scottish mountain's big climb. Ben Nevis, the highest peak of them all, was the target once again for a group of runners. 21 men had entered for a race that qualifies as Britain's toughest race on foot. For everyone who completed it, there was to be a prize, with a bottle of whiskey for the last man home. And on the firing of the starter's gun, they set out to the top of Ben Nevis and back. With the starting point in Fort William left behind, the runners were now on the open road, with 15 miles to go before they got back to Fort William. During that time, they faced a climb of more than 4,000 feet to the peak of Ben Nevis, the highest mountain in Britain. From here on, there was no set route. It was anybody's choice, so long as it led to the top, somewhere above in the mist. And when the first man reached the summit and checked in with the marker, he had soared through the clouds to reach the top, and with it, the halfway mark of the race. There was no pause on the bend, just a quick turn around, and then it was through the clouds again on the exhilarating but dangerous run downhill to Fort William, 4,000 tiring feet below. During the early 1960s, members of the Tipton Harriers ventured into ultra distances and started to compete in the classic London to Brighton race, 52 miles. Bentley was eventually convinced to give it a try in 1964. It was a tough race for him, but he finished in 23rd with a time of 7 hours and 7 minutes. In 1969, Bentley attempted to run his first 100-mile race. He ran in the historic 100-mile race held at Walton-on-Thames, where the ghost runner John Tarrant set the world record. See episode 62. Bentley had never raced past 36 miles before, and sure enough, he did not finish, explaining that his, quote, feet were gone. In 1970, at the age of 39, Bentley won his first ultra, a 44-mile road point-to-point race from Exeter to Plymouth. It was one of six road races that stitched England together, linking smaller towns in fiercely contested annual events. Alcohol had always been part of Bentley's training. He explained, It's what you did. The night before I won the Exeter to Plymouth, I had three pints of Whitbread and steak and chips at an inn. With a string of strong, consistent performances, Bentley attracted the attentions of the Roadrunners Club, RRC, and he was invited to take part in the Radox 100-mile track race held on October 23, 1971 at Uxbridge Sports Center track. With Bentley's failure finishing the 100-miler two years earlier at Walton and Thames, he made sure he was ready for this second attempt. For many months, he had been training 120 miles per week, including back-to-back long running days on weekends. If the Tipton Harriers clubhouse was locked, when he got back, four pints of beer and three bottles of lemonade would be waiting for him in a bucket by the back door. Twelve runners were entered into the highly competitive 100-miler, including Tarrant, age 39, the former world record holder. Bentley's brother Gordon, another elite ultra-runner, was also entered. 
The two brothers prepared the night before the race drinking pints of ale and eating steak and chips. The next morning, just ten minutes before the start, Tarrant was making a last-minute bathroom stop and having a crisis of confidence. In the toilet, I tried to instill in myself the importance of the race, why I had more incentive than any other runner to win. He made his way to the start with just seconds to go. After the start, Ron and Gordon Bentley went out strong. After ten miles, Tarrant had fallen back. Tarrant wasn't running. He was wallowing like a stricken ship, and after 20 miles he'd fallen six minutes behind the leading pack. Ahead of him, he could see Ron Bentley running alongside his older brother Gordon. Tarrant was still struggling at 30 miles and was telling himself if he didn't feel better after one more mile that he would drop out. He said, I was flogging my body unmercifully. Ron Bentley pushed ahead to lead the race after 50 miles, and at mile 59, Tarrant was reduced to a walk and clocked a slow 18-minute mile. He slowed to a complete standstill. Tarrant's brother, Victor, worked furiously on him, trying to revive him, and he raged about a mental lapse and losing control of himself. Others were struggling, too. Ron Bentley had a 17-mile lead over Tarrant at mile 60. He said of Tarrant, I had seen him leave the track, but when he came back, he was flying. I just couldn't believe the way he was running. One minute he'd be dying, and the next minute he was lapping me, and I was starting to lose my confidence. Bentley broke the 100-kilometer British record with a time of 7 hours 29 minutes, but his lead over Tarrant was reduced to 14 minutes at mile 70 and 13 at mile 80. Tarrant continued to push hard. At mile 90, the lead was 6 miles, and at 95, Bentley had only a two-lap lead. From dawn to dusk, for 11 appalling hours, he had floundered hopelessly behind the metronomic Ron Bentley. At last, as darkness hunched around them, he'd run his rival down. The spectators were amazed at what they were watching. <gasps> but in the end, it was Bentley's day. He found a finishing kick that broke Terence's charge, and he flew away to win in 12 hours and 37 minutes, 14 minutes ahead of Tarrant. Tarrant finished in rough shape, with blue lips and froth around his mouth. He was covered in blankets, barely able to speak. Bentley said, I knew he was very ill, but there was nothing we could do. Two weeks later, Tarrant's recovery was slow, and he was still too crippled to run. But a few months later, he was back nearly to world-class form. But soon, his health degraded, and it was discovered that he had stomach cancer. Initial surgery helped, and he recovered enough to continue to run. But during 1974, his health slowly worsened, and he lost significant weight. He died in South Africa on January 19, 1975, at the young age of 42. Two runners played an important part in a 1972 100-mile race held in America. Ken Young grew up in Pasadena, California and attended high school in Phoenix, Arizona. As a youth, he loved running and studying math. In the late 1960s, after reading an article about the benefits that running has on health, complete with numbers and statistics, it struck a chord with him, and he started to run while attending Arizona State University. Young ran his first ultra in 1970, a 50-miler at the National AAU Championships 
in Rockland, California, with a time of 6 hours 20 minutes. While working on his PhD at the University of Chicago, Young joined the school's track club where he met Ted Hayden, who was twice an assistant coach on the USA Olympic team. He asked Young to help him with statistics for a race to introduce the idea of handicapping. That started Young's lifelong computer work with running data. In 1971, Young, working as a meteorologist, began a daily running streak of at least a mile a day that lasted nearly 42 years. In 1972, Coach Hayden set up a race to see if Young could break an indoor world marathon record. He set the world record in Chicago of 2 hours 41 minutes. Daryl Beardall was from Utah and Santa Rosa, California. He started running at the age of 17 when his high school gym teacher told the boys to see how many times they could run around the track. Beardall ran 48 laps, 12 miles, before he stopped. He ran on Brigham Young University's track team during the 1950s, where he finished 7th in the national championship for the 10,000 meters. He started competing in ultras at the age of 31 in 1967, and that year won the Pacific Association AAU 50-miler in 6 hours and 6 minutes. He improved his 50-mile personal best time to 5 hours and 18 minutes when he finished third in the National AAU 50-mile championship in 1970, also at Rockland, California. In March 1972, both Young, age 30, and Beardall, age 35, went to compete in the Camellia 100-mile race held at Sacramento, California on a three-mile road loop course. Ten runners started. Young and Beardall ran neck-to-neck for the first 33 miles until Beardall developed some respiratory problems. He did make somewhat of a recovery between miles 45 and 60 when he closed Young's leading gap from 41 minutes to 11 minutes during that period. But Young won with an amazing time of 14 hours, 14 minutes. Beardall finished second in 15 hours, 38 minutes. Only two others finished, mainly because of high temperatures, between 75 and 80 degrees, and humidity during the race. Daryl Beardall has more miles on his legs than most cars on the road. I've ran over 300,000 miles. Which unofficially gives him the record for most miles in the country. Once upon a time, he was an Olympic hopeful, and last year ran in 52 races. For 35 years, he's trekked 120 miles a week from Santa Rosa to Petaluma as a means to get to work. Derek Kay was born in 1932 and was from South Africa. He began his running career in 1969 when he ran the Comrades Marathon, 54 miles, for the first time and finished in a distant 355th place. He would go on to finish Comrades a total of 22 times. On October 6, 1972, the Durban 100-miles track race was again held in South Africa. It had been held every two years since 1964, and this was its fifth year. Kay shocked the world when at age 39, he had the race of his life and reached 100 miles in a world record time of 11 hours, 56 minutes, breaking Dave Box's 1970 world record on the same track by about 18 minutes. Kay was the first person in history to break 12 hours. That was Kay's only 100 mile finish. 
1972, an annual 100-mile endurance horse race was held in the California Sierra from Squaw Valley to Auburn, California, with 169 horses and riders. The race was receiving international attention. In the spring of 1972, at Fort Riley, Kansas, Captain Joseph McCarthy was on an adventure team, consisting of many Vietnam veterans still in the service. His wife had ridden in the famed horse race a few years earlier, and he came up with the idea to have members of his adventure team try to be the first to cover the Western States course on foot instead of on a horse. The Fort Riley commander contacted Wendell Roby, the Western States ride founder, to ask permission to march a team during the upcoming ride. Roby was enthusiastic about the idea about men trying to complete his course on foot. Plans were made and about 30 soldiers were bussed out to California. 20 would march and 10 others would crew. To get a head start on the horses, the soldiers started the day before on July 28, 1972, hoping to finish in less than 48 hours. After the first 2,500-foot climb to Immigrant Pass, it was easy to see that if they all stayed together, they would never finish. So they broke up into teams of three. Each team could go at their own pace, and it developed into a 100-mile race between the men. These unusual 100-miler athletes wore fatigues, boots, and carried canteens. The soldiers struggled and certainly were not ready for the altitude, heat, and climbs. By the afternoon of the second day, the lead horses and riders caught up to the remaining soldiers. Most of the soldiers dropped out along the way, but seven successfully marched all the way to the finish at Auburn. Six finished with a time of 44 hours, 54 minutes, and another soldier finished in 46 hours, 49 minutes. At the awards banquet at Auburn, California that Sunday evening, the finishing soldiers were presented many awards, including a trophy for the first finishers on foot, prepared by the race's founder, Wendell Roby. The Fort Riley Post newspaper wrote, this was the first time the trail had been competitively traveled on foot with a time factor involved. The idea for a future Western States 100-mile endurance run had been kindled by this historic 1972 march, which received significant coverage in the Auburn newspaper. Revisionist history would later incorrectly claim that a horse endurance rider, Gordon Ainsley, was the first to cover the course on foot in 1974 and gave him all the credit. At the age of 42 in 1973, Ron Bentley struggled with his running because he had an accident with a nail going through his foot when he jumped off some scaffolding. <laughs> he went three weeks without any running and was unable to finish some races. But after running a personal best at London to Brighton in September, he set his sights on running at the Walton-on-Thames 24 hours track race in November 1973. To prepare, he practiced with his brother, Gordon, running through the night. They secretly headed down to the track at Tipton and began a run at 11.30 p.m. They experimented eating every half hour, testing various foods, and settled on hot soup. Running through the night, they used this time getting used to the mental anxieties that creep in when sounds are magnified and aches and pains seem more acute. Gordon stopped at 6 a.m. 
and Ron carried on, adding another hour for good measure. He reckoned he covered about 77 miles. During the weeks leading up to the 24-hour race, Bentley ran 150-mile weeks. Wally Hayward of South Africa still held the track 24-hour world record of 159 miles set in 1953. See episode 61. The focus of the 1973 Walton on Thames race was to break Hayward's 159-mile world record. The cinder track was 400 meters. Tents were set up in the infield for officials. Other tents were pitched by the crews of the runners. Track direction was always counterclockwise. Hurdles were put out to display the mileage for each runner. 16 runners entered. America's Ted Corbett entered after being invited. At age 53, he knew he was nearing the end of his competitive running career, and he knew this probably would be his last chance to run in such an ultimate challenge. He trained big miles for the November race. He ran 882 in July, 816 in August, with 740 and 696 in September and October. He attempted twice to do a 100-mile training run, but quit each time with bad blisters. Ten days before the race, he tried a third time and successfully reached 101 miles in 22 hours. It went very well, and he never felt tired. He was ready. Corbett had a very long trip to England, grounded in Germany because the British airports were completely fogged over. But he finally arrived. Because the start wasn't until 6 p.m., he did his best to rest during the day for the hours before the race. Outward, he was calm but inside he was in turmoil. His pre-race bio read, Ted Corbett, age 53, a respected physiotherapist in New York, added an international flavor to the proceedings. He pioneered ultra-distance running in the USA, being a founder of the Roadrunners Club of America based on the model established by the RRC in the UK. He is recorded as having completed 171 ultra-distance and marathons since 1951. He had represented the USA in the Helsinki Olympics over the marathon distance. In terms of experience, Ted was possibly the best equipped. John Chodes served as Corbett's crew chief and would use a hour-by-hour planned schedule for Corbett's fuel. He wrote about the race setup. We set up tents along the back straight until the track resembled an army biovac area. Each tent contained a bed in case a runner was so exhausted that he needed a complete rest and a portable stove for brewing tea and actual hot meals. In front of the tents were littered bottles and cans filled with homemade food and drink preparations. The timer's tent dominated the front straight. It was large, accommodating 15 timers, one for each competitor. The tent glowed yellow-green under the harsh lights of several Coleman lanterns. Before the start, the 15 runners gathered together in a small dressing room where they joked, laughed, and seemed totally relaxed. Bentley sat in the middle of the room and dominated the proceedings with his jokes and rough humor. The casual race atmosphere calmed Corbett's jitters. The runners were called to the track at 5.50 p.m., and Corbett joked, How are you supposed to warm up for a 24-hour run? The weather was cool and wet, and the command, Go! was shouted. Gordon Bentley shot into the lead at 6.15-mile pace. Corbett was content to run near the rear. 
After three hours, Gordon Bentley had nearly reached 25 miles, with Ron a half mile back and Corbett two miles back. During the fourth hour, one runner threw up repeatedly, and another was seen badly limping. Corbett stopped for a meal of a hard-boiled egg and a cup of orange and pineapple juice. Bentley fed on soup, rice pudding, and cups of tea. His crew fed on a bottle of whiskey. Corbett soon discovered that a blister had appeared on his heel, and he stopped in the medical tent for two minutes as they quickly taped it. The problem was solved. Ron Bentley took the lead from his brother during the fifth hour. Corbett started to gain on the leaders, but hamstring pain grew alarmingly. The midnight hour was described as, The silence of the truck was ghostly. The only regular noises were the padding paces of the runners as they wove their way through the dark night. After six hours, Ron Bentley led and hit 50 miles at six hours and eight minutes, two minutes behind the world record pace. Corbett was 41 minutes behind in fourth place. Half of the runners were struggling badly. By the ninth hour, Bentley had a five-mile lead and was seen, quote, threading his way through the traffic jam of walking, limping, dog-trotting men. He was in command and seemed to be a machine. At the 12-hour mark, Bentley reached 92 miles and Corbett was in second place with 81 miles. Bentley reached 100 miles in 1309 and did not stop for rest. Corbett was 12 miles behind, struggling with hamstring pain. His crew would stroke his legs with a hard hairbrush. They tried pushing his knees toward his chest, but the pain was excruciating. At 15 hours, 22 minutes, Corbett finally reached 100 miles. His overall goal had been to reach 150 miles, but soon he realized that would be impossible. At 18 hours, Corbett mentally gave up. He did not walk off the track, but he stopped the constant struggling. Bentley continued strongly, uncatchable, but Corbett's second place lead started to diminish. His stride degenerated into a, quote, tottering lurch. John Chodes paced alongside him, trying to keep him from walking, and gave him fluids. During the 20th hour, the track became flooded with two inches of water from a torrential downpour. Runners became chilled to the bone as they slogged through the muddy water. Helpers tried to sweep the water off the track. Bentley recalled, That's when the real battle started. I'd got a pole in my right thigh, the left foot was painful, and I was slowing. I tried to convince myself I could still break the record even if I had to walk it, and every lap was one less to do after all. I slowly got on terms again. A British monsieur took Ted into a dry dressing room and tried to bring life to his thighs. He bundled up in a dry sweater and headed out again as the rain finally stopped. During the afternoon, the stands were filled with cheering spectators. An announcer continued to count down Bentley's laps, which greatly annoyed him. He pled, Tell them to stop on about the record and I will smash it for them. With a few swear words added. At 22 hours, it was dark. The stadium lights cast eerie reflections on pools of water. The scene deteriorated into shambles. The runners were mud-drenched. Then a miracle occurred. As the runners conceived the end of the run, they began moving faster and faster. But Bentley's pace slowed as his leg muscles gave way. He started walking some laps. The world record seemed to be slipping away. 
He soon broke the British record of 154.7 miles. He had about two hours to cover five miles and break Hayward's record. He broke Hayward's record of 159 miles with one hour to go. Bentley was engulfed by old friends, well-wishers, and fatigue. Handshakes delivered and cheering all round. He then stopped, wrapped himself in a blanket, and then limped the rest of the hour walking with his wife. He later explained, I was sorry not to put in more miles on it, but I was mentally and physically drained. Once I lost my concentration, I was finished. I never knew how I got around the track for another 50 minutes. The remaining battle was for second place. Corbett had held it for 13 hours, but with 30 minutes to go, Peter Hart was within two laps of him. The track was a madhouse. Bands and handlers clogged the track, making an obstacle course for the runners. Corbett's crew pled with him to go faster, but it was useless. He had nothing left, and with 20 minutes to go, Hart passed Corbett. Then the gun was fired, and the nightmare was over for Corbett. Bentley reached 161.3 miles, a new world 24-hour record. Hart reached 136.4 miles and Corbett 134.6. Corbett was carried off like a rag doll to a hot tub where he and other runners lay for a half hour. He was then lifted out, dressed and driven to the place where he was staying. Bentley, on the other hand, was surrounded by microphones and TV cameras as interviews were conducted on the track. A wreath was draped around his neck. When asked what he wanted, he replied, A pint of beer. He said, It's absolutely marvelous. I always felt I could do it, and I never thought I would drop out. One observer summed up the event this way. If ever a man deserved to crown a career with such glory, that man was Ron Bentley. To my mind, anything he achieves in the future can never surpass his Walton effort. Although Ron took the main honors, I will always remember the day for the last few painful hours of Ted Corbett's run which typified the courage of these men. Ron Bentley died in 2019 at the age of 88. Stay tuned for more 100 Mile History. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, And most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances.